Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. This is Rashawn Evans, and you're listening to the No Nonsense Podcast. Welcome into No Nonsense, the Tennessee Titans podcast, your place to go for on-demand Titans coverage that is 100% free of the nonsense that we always see in sports talk these days. I'm Luke Worsham, joined by the other two hosts of No Nonsense, Matthias Wadner, Will Lomas. Guys, the Titans are in the AFC Championship game. What in the world is happening? I don't know. I really don't know. This... You know, after this after this Ravens game, I was like, I was obviously very happy for the for the duration of the game, but then towards the end, once we actually, you know, the the clock hit zero, I was just like, this this feels weird. This this doesn't feel as good as it should, just because we're not, maybe I'm not used to it, and I'm just not expecting me to feel happiness in sports because it just hasn't happened. Uh, it, it's never really happened. But I don't know, man. This is this is really weird, and I assume this is what the Giants felt like uh, when they made the Super Bowl with with Eli Manning two times as as a nine and seven team. I assume that's what they felt like, uh, or the Ravens went well, no, because the Ravens had already won the Super Bowl in one. Yeah, I mean, it's weird. Like it, it surreal is the only way I can describe it because. You went from a two and four team, and we've heard it a million times about how the Titans were two and four. But at that time, I think they had a seven percent chance of just making the playoffs, and they struggle, and people get hurt. You know, you lose Malcolm Butler, Delaney Walker never comes back like like we expected him to. Corey Davis and Adam Humphreys both miss time. Like all, all these people get hurt and miss time and whatever, and then you claw and you make it and you get lucky enough to get into the playoffs and then everybody says, well, 
they're not going to go to up to Foxborough and win. And the Titans do that. And they said, well, they're definitely not going to beat the Ravens. And then they did that. And then they're going to get to Chiefs. And you would think at this point it would be like, okay, there's some, you know, small amount of respect. But no, I mean, it's just the same thing over again. It's like Groundhog's Day. So, I mean, it's it's surreal in the fact that it feels like we've had the same week for the last two weeks in a row so it doesn't feel like there's progression but then when you look around you know there's only three other fan bases who are getting ready for a game this weekend so I, it's th- it this it's one weird. felt it, it in my opinion this one felt extra weird just because we dominated the Ravens yeah, that's the thing that I kept saying to people so because people kept asking me like you know family members and, and some casual fans that I'm friends with you know well did you expect them to or did you uh, were you surprised that they won my response is like, no, I'm not surprised that they won because they're a good football team. I'm surprised that they totally dismantled the Ravens yeah. from start to finish. Yeah, that it, it would. I mean, it, at some point, it's almost like if you're like you pay a bunch of money to watch like a UFC fight, and then one guy just comes out and starts punching the other guy in the face, and the other guy just doesn't do anything. Like he doesn't get knocked out immediately. Like you have to wait for the whole fight, and then it goes to decision, and the other guy wins. But it's just like there was never any threat to the Titans. Like. There, nobody like left the game hurt, and it was like, oh, this is going to be the spark. There was no turnover on offense. That you know, it was just like they would march down the field, they would turn the ball over, the Titans would get it back and march down, and sometimes score, and sometimes they wouldn't. But I mean, it was just like, I mean, repetitive, methodical beatdown, like we've seen the Patriots do so many times in the playoffs. Sorry, I just got a text. Um, <laughs> by all means um, okay, you can follow the show on social media at no nonsense pod both twitter and facebook you can also follow or subscribe to the show on whatever platform you're using to listen that way you get our episodes easier and quicker and if you're listening on itunes we would love for you to leave us a rating and review we've got a great show for you today we're going to have Emily Proud from News Channel 2 on later on. She's going to talk a little bit about the Titans. We're going to have Nick Jacobs on. He hosts a Kansas City Chiefs podcast. He covers the Chiefs in Kansas City. We're going to have a lot of fun. Um, I want to start with with this discussion about you know the team as a whole. Uh, Matias, you brought up the Baltimore Ravens. I think that's a fair comparison for this team. I think that the 2011 New York Giants are a fair comparison for this team. Uh, now, both of those teams, I believe, won their division. Yeah, that's right. Both of those teams won their division. But in terms of, you know, kind of low seed, no one's expecting much from them. And they just kind of go in and tackle the Giants. You know, the Ravens, the year that they won the Super Bowl, beat Peyton Manning and Tom Brady in the playoffs. Yeah, it, it's hard for me to really come up with a comp because, uh, yeah, we're, we're that we're that lower seed and no one really expects much of, uh, like those teams you mentioned. Uh, but I, I think we're, we're a lot different than those teams. Maybe the Tannehill-Flacco uh, thing, just because Flacco got really hot uh, during that that last stretch of the season and then in the playoffs, but Tannehill really hasn't been, he hasn't been counted on in these playoffs to, to do much just because it's been the Derrick Henry show. And there really haven't been too many playoff teams in the past that have completely 
run through a running back like this, and that's why it's it's hard for me to come up with a with a comparison. But I agree that I, I do agree with the comparison with the Giants, just because the defense seems to be overachieving in the same way um, that those Giants defenses did, uh, and, and a lot of that was just the defensive line was getting pressure with four and they really weren't blitzing all that much. And then the back end was kind of, you know, solid, which is exactly what the Titans have been uh, in the, in these two games in the playoffs. It, I don't know. Like it feels different because it feel it felt like those giants teams had to maximize every little bit of offensive talent they had. Uh, the Titans feel like they haven't even tried option two. I mean, it feels like they've just, yeah, on the same right. point, the play call. It, it's just like, we're going to run, the ball until you stop us and they've said it for two straight weeks and nobody's stopped them so it feels like there's a whole facet of the offense that hadn't even been tapped into yeah, yeah. I, I think you're right with that and i think it might have to get tapped into this week probably i don't know though because we keep saying that yeah. we keep saying but, that. but and it keeps being right though like well, i mean the Kansas city is a bottom five deep rush defense yeah the chiefs aren't very good on defense and so like if if Henry can do what he did against you know the Ravens and the uh, and the Patriots on paper anyway, you would think that they're going to be able to lean on him similarly. Now the problem you run into is being outscored by that other offense. Right. Yeah. They can't stop you on your when you're on offense, and <laughs> it really doesn't matter. Um, and that's kind of what happened in the in the last last Chiefs game in the regular season. They couldn't stop Derrick Henry. He ran for 188 and, and two touchdowns. Uh, I mean, yeah, we won because of a blocked field goal, but I mean, we were in a position um, to win to win that game regardless. And yeah, Tannehill had that last drive, and he played very well. He was very efficient. Uh, but he really didn't throw for for that many yards, and it's kind of been the pattern that we've seen in these playoffs. It's kind of taken uh, taken a page out of that that book from that Chiefs game. Uh, the thing is, our defense has played infinitely better than than they did in that Chiefs game. So I I, I don't know. This this feels like a much different team than that one, in my opinion. Yeah, you know, I went back and watched, uh, rewatched the Kansas City Titans game today, and I forget how weird that game was. Like, that was a game where nobody could tackle. Like, Adoree Jackson would be on top of Tyree Kill and couldn't tackle him, which, okay, that's normal. It's also the game where uh, Logan Ryan, I, I think it's, yeah, Logan Ryan and Adoree Jackson both drop interceptions on the first drive, and, you know, uh, Mahomes ends up, you know, getting the first points. I don't think it's on that drive. I think they have to punt, but or maybe kick a field. They have to kick a field goal. But it's also the same uh, game where Tannehill got sacked and was on the ground, like just, you know, a normal sack, and somebody came out and knocked the ball out while he was sitting on the ground, and the refs just uh, called that a fumble. Like it was such a weird game, and Jarrell Casey wasn't in, so it, it was all these weird things that when you look back on, you're like, oh yeah, that happened in that game. So. I don't really know how much we can even take from that first matchup because it was just so unique and strange. Yeah, I'm going through the play-by-play, and I forgot some of these things happened, and I forgot some of these like scores that that we I, I I completely forgot we were down nine points at one point in that game. I forgot that the game was essentially over, and then they they botched the snap, um, and then we just went down the field in four plays. It was 
and we yeah. went for it on fourth and like 19 yeah, or whatever right? that was like yeah, that, yeah. that weird like that almost got converted it was just such a weird game the one Brable decision we actually agreed with even though it seemed like yeah. the worst decision ever but it was actually analytically sound I want to talk about Derrick Henry um you know it's hard to put into words just how good how dominant he has been this postseason run and and Matthias you know the other day we were trying to to make comparisons with the Titans and you said you can't make a comparison with this team because there's never been a Derrick Henry before mm-hmm. that's exactly true and I still can't there might never be a Derrick Henry I, I mean what is what is what is the last running back um that has been anything like him in the in the playoffs, I can't think of one. Adrian Peterson certainly was in the yeah. regular season when he won MVP. It yeah. was the kind of you know you knew it was coming and you still couldn't stop it. Correct. But the, but it, it was different. Like it, it's so, like stylistically, we've always said that he plays like a much bigger Chris Johnson, mm-hmm. where he doesn't have necessarily like initial quick. But if you give him a gap, he's almost impossible to tackle in open space, and for different reasons. But uh, it's just—it's such a unique thing. And we and like I said, we've always said that this is what he is when he's at his best—is just a home run hitter. But it just—he seems different. Like he's getting six-yard gains where it used to be yeah. two yards. I mean, even this season, the Titans led the league in negative rushes. I mean, that wasn't two years ago, where with a different coordinator, that was you know, two months ago. So it to get from point A to point B is such a weird thing to see. And a lot of it's just because Derrick Henry absolutely relentless. Like when he has to come off the field, he's furious and he takes it out on the defense when he gets back on the field. And, you know, it doesn't matter what angle he gets hit by. He just seems to keep popping up and he can cut back 10 times in a row and then He'll do it on the eleventh time, and the defense just won't be able to stop it. And he'll make it's it's incredible. I, I can't compare it to like you said. I can't compare it to anything because it's like he's Eric Dickerson on steroids, or like he's Jerome Bettis with Marshall Falk's legs. Like it, it's it's such a like it it doesn't what you see doesn't match with what happens. So it's so strange. I, I remember at one point in, in the in the this regular season, I think just like midway midway through the season. Um, he wasn't breaking off big runs, but it was different because he was still breaking off those five to six yard chunk gains. And it seemed like he, he, he had changed as a runner from his first two seasons. Uh, and then towards the latter half of the season, he started breaking off those runs long of 34, long of 68, long of 74, long of 53. Now in the playoffs last week, he gets a 66 yard run. So, I remember we said, like, imagine if he can combine those home run plays with those four to five yard chunk gains on a consistent basis. And that's exactly what he's done. And he's unstoppable. And no defense has any, they can't solve it. It's impossible because you can't tackle him. What's Matias? It's about the mindset, okay? Ah, yeah, yeah. Okay, Earl. I think so we've heard. Oh, man. Well, you know, and and with this Titans team, you know, I want to go back for just a second 
Uh, hold up. I think this is important to interrupt the podcast for. Um, Luke Keekley just retired. What? What? Yeah. Um. Whoa. Yeah. Um, this game since I was in fourth grade. I, I, I mean, it, reactions, thoughts while we're still on the air. I think that was a pretty good summation of my reaction. Whoa. I didn't yes. see that coming at all. I mean, mm. he, he wasn't he drafted in the he's, Andrew Luck draft or a year later? I'm not sure. Around that Ooh, time. Yeah. But he, he's really struggled with, with concussions, concussions in his career. Yeah. yeah. So this isn't too much of Yeah, he's 28 years old. Wow. Had a, had a great season, too. Not yet. Yeah, he's, he's old. Like, and I think that's part of it. Like, There's so many things where it's like when you get concussed over and over and over and your play doesn't suffer, but you keep getting these injuries, it's to the point where you've got to make the decision yourself. Because if he played to the ability of the rest of his body and not just his brain, like he would probably play five or six more years before seeing any sort of real decline. And then at that point, who knows You know what kind of damage would have been done. I I would have to assume this is bad for the NFL long term, just because. Well, yeah. yeah, you hate you lose seeing, one of your best players. Yeah, you and you lose him very clearly because he's had too many concussions. I, I I wouldn't be surprised if I mean he might be saying it now, but he may come out and say, you know, my I had an independent neurologist look at me, and he said if you do it, you know, if you play any longer, you're at risk for you know major health concerns. So I mean that's brutal. Yeah. Who was the last one? It was like Chris Borland, right, from the 90s? Yeah, but that, yeah, was, did, that was like five years ago. Yeah, and he, and did he was it. way younger. Correct. Yeah, and then Andrew Luck retired young because of right. like calf pain or whatever. The same thing that T.Y. Hilton's going through now that he assumes that the Colts doctors can fix, which is a dangerous assumption. <laughs> How did but, we get here? It's a conspiracy I mean, theory. Well, like, it's just, that's just what happened. I mean, they, they, didn't, they don't know what they're doing, and they still don't. Uh, but... Okay, getting the train back on the rails because yeah. we're not we're not going down that rabbit hole. I want to talk a little bit about how far the Titans have come this season because back in like week six or seven, I ordered Hamilton tickets for this Saturday, thinking there's no way that the Titans are going to still be playing. Then this, you know the second round of the playoffs. Luckily, I don't travel, and so I was still able to go see Hamilton and then come home and watch the game. Um, and then earlier today, I was looking back at articles written about the Titans from before they faced the Chiefs the last time. And, like, this is some—I sent you guys something that Joe Rex wrote, wrote for The Athletic, where he's talking about how the Titans are entering fight-for-your-job territory— there's a really great article. I remember reading this article when it came out uh, that Kaharski wrote for his website. The headline was, Mike Vrabel needs to take the defibrillators to this team stat. And it talked about how, you know, just how bad the team was. And they kept saying, you know, we got to stick to the process. And, well, the process wasn't working. And if you remember that, that uh, Carolina game was the one where Deion Lewis got uh, a bunch of carries in the first half instead of Henry because they wanted to get him involved. And this is the best part of that article, and then I'll just let you guys react. Paul wrote, I haven't looked it up, but I don't suspect that the Panthers have struggled with small, overpaid, non-producing running backs this season. Man. That's a... Man, that is... 
a brutal way to talk about Dalen Dawkins. That is just that is horrendous. <laughs> and no, but uh, I mean, how, how can anyone argue with with um, w- with all the articles that were written written and, and the takes that that were coming off? I, I mean, we were four and five. First of all, we were two and four. I thought the season was over then. I was looking up draft prospects. I thought we were going to get Joe Burrow. That didn't happen. Then, after the Broncos game, the Broncos game was a travesty. That set football back about 10 years. And then... (laughs) (laughs) It did. It really did. It really did. It was horrible. Like Even even Tannehill came in, and he was terrible, too. It's not not like a a Mariota indictment. It has never taken me as long to write a post-game article as it did after that game. Like, I knew what I wanted to say, but I'm like, I'm, I'm like still processing. Like, like, can we all agree that maybe worst quarterback performance of this century? No, no. no. That, okay. No, if there's that, been so that in the Peterman. That, that in the Peterman even, game. That in the Peterman game. Okay, you can't say that and then also include the actual worst performance yeah, right. quarterback game. I mean, like... It, it, Mario could it, it was, it, it was, passes. I mean, we it wasn't. He almost got sacked against a two-man game. rush because he it, left clean pocket. Well, we could have run the ball either. It was a, it was a collective offensive s show. I think that that's so, so worst offensive performance of the decade or of the the, 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 the century. It might be <laughs> again. No, there's been so no, many bad ones. Like. like yeah, I mean, it, anyway, it's, it wasn't even the worst I performance that, I've seen the Titans have. But The reason I say that, and I don't think it's hyperbole, is like, it wasn't like, you know, when the Titans got shut out by the Ravens last year and they just kept giving up pressure because the, the line couldn't block. Like, this was totally and completely, like, incompetent, can't even execute a simple play. Yeah, that's exactly what it was. And that same team is in the AFC Championship game. Yeah. <laughs> which is just the most absurd thing and kind of goes to show you how long an NFL season is and how much can change. Uh, but even, I don't know, even following that Broncos game, the, the Chargers and Bucks wins were fine, but the Chargers and Bucks weren't very good. And they were kind of fluky wins. The Chargers should have won that game. Uh, but they, they Chargers in, in the most Chargers way possible and then you know Jameis Jameis is just the worst and then then comes the Panthers game which we kind of saw coming because like I said those two wins were kind of fluky and we the defense was kind of you know falling apart a little bit uh so we get destroyed by the Panthers and then the Chiefs game happens and then the whole season turns around but then you go into the last three weeks you lose to the Texans you lose to the Saints both at home and it's like you you don't even know if you're going to make the playoffs. And now we're in the AFC Championship game. I just I don't understand this season. It's been it's been really weird. If you told me we were in a dream and none of this has actually happened, I would totally I would totally believe you because it just this is this isn't the way a team is supposed to make the AFC Championship and maybe the Super Bowl. Yeah, definitely not a Titans team, at least based right, on history. Right. Like, you have to have everything break right for you, and also everything break wrong well, for everybody else. But you have to, you you have to say this too. You can back into a playoff spot because maybe your division sucks. Maybe the you know, you can back into a playoff spot. You can back into a playoff win. The Titans did that two years ago against the Chiefs. You cannot back into the AFC Championship game. If you 
make the playoffs and win two playoff games, not only win them, but dismantle two of the best quarterbacks in the NFL in Tom Brady and Lamar Jackson, you're legit. You're a legitimate contender. Yeah, I mean, I think think at the end of every Every quarter, there's only one of the eight where they were trailing, and that was quarter two against the Patriots. Is that right? Like, eight, no, sorry, quarter one against the Patriots. They were, they were leading 14 to 13 at halftime. So it's like, it, when you look at it, I mean, they've never really been behind. Like, yeah. they were until that goal line stand, and then everything shifted in the Patriots game. But, like, they never trailed them, but, like, they didn't let they didn't allow a point in the second half against the uh, the Patriots. So it, it's not like you know we're talking about backing in. I mean they were pulling guys out. Like I mean they were. I don't want to say they were subbing starters. But got heavy rotation late in the Baltimore game. I mean I thought they were gonna. It, I thought they were gonna rest Derrick Henry in the Baltimore game. I mean towards the end. Good luck. I mean, good luck trying. Like, <laughs> no, I, mean, I know. Just, he won't let you. He, yeah, I was going to say, like, they just, he won't, yeah, you tell that guy to, <laughs> to sit on the bench. Did like, you so, want to, did you, I mean, I mean did, did Vrabel, like, you know, you have so much momentum and, and, you know, everything is going perfectly right for you. Let's throw Dion Lewis out there for a quarter. Yeah, like, we, we've seen how, like, he, Again, like it feels like all season we've done this, but like you can just see the defense perk up when Derrick Henry goes out, and then you can see the offense slump their shoulders when Deion Lewis comes in. Like the run blocking isn't as good, the pass protection isn't as good. It's like instantly like they're ready to punt because they yeah. know that the play calling is given. The, up. the morale but, just completely uh, changes. Yeah, and. I, I want to kind of talk about just real quick, and I want to see what y'all think about this. Is the only way I can explain it is Arthur Smith was so over his head as a first-time play caller that when the plays on the sheet didn't work on the way work the way they were supposed to on the field, that he started to tailspin. And Tannehill, just because he's a veteran and because he's been through a bunch of play callers and he's done it before, was able to say like. We'll run these things, and then I'll audible at the line because he audibles a lot. Like he audibles shifts guys. He, I mean, to this day, like he does it frequently. So, I think that that kind of calming presence to say, you know, call what you want to call. If it's not going to work, I'll change it at the line of scrimmage. That veteran presence calmed him down, and now Arthur Smith is calling. I mean, it's easy right now, but even as you know, in the Houston game and. The, both Houston games and the New Orleans game, like he's calling significantly better games that make sense when you pair them together. It's not three tight ends on the line like we saw against Jacksonville when nothing's working in the run game. So I think Tannehill coming in, it's not only that Tannehill was so much better than Mariota, but it was that Tannehill was the perfect fit at the perfect time for what this team needed. And that that's the only way you can have a team go two and four with no offense to a top 10 offensive team statistically, despite all that. Okay. So, so we're going to go now to our discussion with uh, Nick Jacobs, who again, covers the Kansas city chiefs has a podcast. Uh, before we do that, we're going to play you a quick 30 second. I almost said 30 word second. 30-second word from one of our sponsors, uh, and, and Nick has great stuff for us, so you'll want to stay tuned for that. All right. 
So we are joined now by Nick Jacobs of the 4th and 1 podcast. He is a Chiefs analyst there. They cover the Chiefs each and every week. Nick, thank you so much for the time and for joining us. We really appreciate it. My pleasure. I think it's a big week for both of us this week. Yeah, uh, I'll start with this. If I had told you after week 10 when Joshua Kalu sealed the deal for the Titans with that blocked kick at the end of the game that these two teams would be playing each other in the AFC Championship, you would have said what? I, I Honestly, I wouldn't have doubted it because I was nervous about the Titans going into that week because the, the physical run game that they had with Derrick Henry and that offensive line that Mike Munchek built up there over time that they've been able to keep. I know they've added Saffold and some other pieces along the way, but they have they, they just have such a good offensive line that they've kept intact that they've been able to rely on while they figured out what they were doing with Mariota and marrying that with Mike Rabel and his toughness and his philosophy and his mentality. It's kind of been an awesome throwback to the equivalent of Jim Harbaugh whenever he was with the 49ers, but it's been updated scheme-wise a little bit since him and Greg Roman left from there. But I tell you what, the, the Titans, they're a, they're a tough physical football team, and they reflect Rabel really well. So, And Tannehill, uh, when Rabel and them made the call to put Tannehill in, that, that changed the Titans' season, and that's why I truly believe they're where they are at this point because with Mariota, it, it was looking really bad. You, you know, we all saw the, the game on Sunday with the big comeback against the Texans, but, but specifically as someone who knows this team very intimately – what is different about the Chiefs since then, that Week 10 game? I, I think in some regards, the defense had been playing well for a couple weeks, but I, I felt like the football team that week whenever I was watching them, that they, they took a collective uh, breath because they, they played the Broncos and Patrick Mahomes had the dislocated knee. Everybody saw on national TV and – whenever he left, the defense had to step up and they had to kind of carry that football team and all the players on offense had to carry it a little bit more and the O-line had to carry it in the run game and everybody had to kind of step up and perform to their maximum level because Patrick Mahomes, the magician, wasn't around to be able to just pull them out of any fire that they had. They had to kind of fend for themselves in some regard. And so that was the big week that the defense stepped up against Joe Flacco and got seven sacks and and then after that, then they ended up playing the Packers and played a, a really close game against them. And then they played a very physical um, – at that point, they played a very physical Vikings team and came out with a win against them. And then, and then they played the Titans. So, I mean, they, they played three consecutive playoff teams, the teams that ended up making the playoffs, and that was a really tough stretch. And in that Titans game, Patrick came back, and they, they kind of all kind of – it felt like they kind of leaned on Patrick again, and you could tell he wasn't 100% healthy in that game, obviously. He wasn't back in the full swing of it like he is now. And it, it took a little time for that team to kind of find the balance again of, okay, we have Patrick, but if we play to this level on this side, we can all collectively get back to an AFC championship game. So I think that Titans game was a little bit of a wake-up call to him. And obviously the Titans had some crucial special teams plays. And then that forced fumble against Damian Williams because – that game was starting to look like the Chiefs were going to take it over there before Damian Williams fumbled the ball. Titans were right back in it at that point, and then it was it was a ball game and a battle from that point forward. Hey, Nick, this is Matias. I want I want to talk to you a little bit about um, Patrick Mahomes. It feels, in in my opinion, he's the best quarterback in the NFL, and, and I think he kind of reinforced that last week in that comeback against the Texans. Uh, it, it feels like he's 
I wouldn't say he's become underrated this year, but it feels like Lamar Jackson took a lot of the shine that that Mahomes had gotten in 2018. And it's true that in 2019, he didn't exactly put up the same kind of numbers uh, that he did in 2018, but he was still uber efficient and pro- probably from an efficiency st- standpoint, what, the best quarterback in the NFL. Um, what do you think have been the differences maybe between 2018 and 2019, if there have been any? Because when when we saw him in Tennessee, I mean, he was he was outstanding and he looked like he was in 2018 form um, and he did uh, last week as well. Yeah, you're 100 percent right about about all that. It's it statistically, obviously, he's not at the same level that he was previously the year before. But that offense, that was that was a generational offense that the Chiefs had that week before, as a lot of people remember from that Chiefs Rams Monday Night Football game. I mean, the, the Chiefs, the, the the key difference then is the Chiefs had Kareem Hunt, and he he allowed for a lot of balance up until the the video came out from his incident, and they had to let him go from the team. He just created enough balance to where teams had to respect the run because of how physical of a back he was, but also had to cover Travis Kelsey and Tyreek Hill and Sammy Watkins, and they had to figure out a way to stop all those weapons, and, and teams just couldn't. And, then, and and teams still didn't have a really good feel for what Patrick Mahomes was. And now this year, teams have did a really good job. The Detroit Lions were kind of one of the first ones to really – tap in they took a lot of what the new england patriots did in that afc championship game and they got a physical with the chiefs wide receivers ran a lot more man coverage and then were a lot more physical with the press and bringing certain blitzes and leaving a spy that would delay if mahomes got outside the pocket so they a lot of teams started copying what the lions did now the other part of it was patrick got the ankle injury in week one against the jaguars when he got bent like a pretzel on his ankle from uh, i believe calais campbell against the in week one and i mean they 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 were looking exactly like they did the year before up until that happened and then he had his ankle injury from there and he he battled through it week after week and he re-aggravated it a couple times in a couple different games and it's it could it, he never had the time to fully let it heal and but what i will say about him is that so that that drops some of his numbers but then what i will say is Patrick sees the field so much better this year. I mean, he understands what defenses are trying to do. He knows how to set his protections up. He sees the blitzes typically come in a mile away and has a really good feel for it and is able to adjust protections to it and move the running back here, move the tight end there to pick this up, and then we're going to do this hot route. He has such a good feel for it, and I know it's been mentioned multiple times. He has a photographic memory. So everything he saw last year, he remembers, and everything he's seen this year, he remembers and they've constantly evolved and adjusted. But the biggest thing I think that you could take away is his footwork's gotten a lot better. I mean, he, he could he could make some throws just off pure arm talent, throw it on a dime. There was one pass I still remember when I was watching in training camp last year before people knew what he could do. And he, he'd rolled out to his right, and it was, it was kind of like the Chris Conley throw against the 49ers in week three last year. Um, Patrick rolled out to his right. It wasn't there. So then he rolled all the way back to his left, scrambled all the way to the boundary to the sidelines. And he rotated his body to where he was essentially backing up out of bounds towards the boundary, somehow chucked it 45, 50 yards downfield off the, off his feet. He didn't really, he kind of had a little bit, a little bit on his back right foot and then just chucked it 45 yards downfield on a dime to Sammy Watkins. And, and, And his momentum was taking him completely the opposite way but he still was able to throw it and do that. And, and so 
imagine a guy who can who has that pure arm talent that can do that when their footwork's not correct. But whenever your footwork is correct and everything of that nature, it's just it's made him a much more accurate and efficient pass, passer. And on top of it, he's not making some of the reckless decisions that he made at times, very Favre-esque, to where he he's like, well, I, I know I can throw it in that triple coverage and throw it on a dime, and he's right, he can. But let's let's maybe take that uh, the first down right in front there first. Yeah, he's been pretty incredible to watch, uh, Nick. This is Will. Uh, so. How would you possibly defend Travis Kelsey if you were if you were a defensive coordinator and you've seen even when he starts out slow, even when he's slowed by a hamstring partway through the game, he still ends up with one of the best you know performances by a tight end in playoff history. I mean, what what should the plan be for any, but not just the Titans, but for anybody if you're trying to stop Travis Kelsey? Loaded question. Yeah, I know. <laughs> it's a good question. Um, yeah, I think it's a question every defensive coordinator, unfortunately, has been asking themselves uh, for quite some time with Travis since he really kind of started. Because his rookie year, he had a microfracture in his, in his knee, so he wasn't able to play his rookie year. Otherwise, he would have taken that by storm, and then the Chiefs may have not had that uh, comeback loss against the Colts, unfortunately, that year. Um, but, yeah, when Travis came on the scene, I mean, he, he was a mismatch for linebackers and safeties. So then – the Patriots have done – they did a good job last year in that week seven or week eight Sunday night football matchup around then when they got physical with him and they'd chip him at the line of scrimmage and then they'd leave somebody on him or they would double-team him. The Texans tried to double-team him a handful of times. They tried to put Justin Reed on him. I mean, they're, the Broncos have tried to put Chris Harris on him before. They've put Justin Simmons on him. I mean, teams have taken some of their best defenders and put them on Travis – the problem you do when you either double team them or put your best defenders on them, if you don't have enough of those quality defenders, you're leaving Tyreek Hill one-on-one or you're having to double Tyreek, having to double Travis. Well, then the problem becomes you got Damian Williams, who's an athletic receiving running back out of the backfield, or you have Sammy Watkins or you have McCole Hardman, the other speed addition they deliberately added this year to be an answer. So you couldn't take Travis and Tyreek away. So, I mean, teams, teams at times, they'll be able to get physical with Travis. They'll have to they'll have to adjust it at times. But I still remember there was one time the Denver Broncos, whenever Wade Phillips was still there, they, they, had, a, they had triple coverage on Travis in a little triangle-type coverage they were doing, and they left Tyreek wide open because of it. Because, you know, because they, they wanted to dedicate three people specifically to Travis, and Tyreek was left wide open. And it was, a, it was actually a uh, – one time they did it, it was a counter run to where they gave this look to where they uh, they thought it was going to be thrown to Travis, but it was just a counter run with Ty- Tyreek, and he took off for a 68-yard touchdown. And then I know there was another time that the teams teams have tried everything to stop Travis, and you can there's ways you can slow him down. You can hit him, get physical with him, keep him frustrated, and he may have a couple drop passes, and, and, and he has to work through with, with Patrick, but – it's it's really really tough. Uh, if there's a team that is able to figure out a way to double Tyreek and double Travis and still stop everything, I, I I hate to say it, but that's really like the the only way I think a team is generally going to be able to stop those two players. So Nick, when you look at the Chiefs, obviously the offense is is so good and and you see all the weapons, but what stands out to me is that their defense seems very vulnerable. And, and like they can pretty easily be exploited. 
So two questions for you about the defense. First, the same question I asked the Ravens expert we had on last week. How is this defense equipped to slow down Derrick Henry? Because we know he's going to get a lot of touches. And secondly, unlike these other two teams that the Titans have faced, the Chiefs don't have a, a lockdown, you know, really tough secondary. So how are they equipped to handle A.J. Brown and Corey Davis? Well, I, I would say uh, the Chiefs, whenever they – luckily the, the benefit the Chiefs had is they played the Titans once before this year. So they got to look at what Tennessee was trying to do when their backs were against the wall and they were fighting for a playoff spot. So Steve Spagnuolo and his coaching staff have a, have a good feel for that. And the thing that goes underrated about the Chiefs coaching staff that they built up this year – after they blew it out last year, after they lost the AFC Championship game, um, was they brought in Brendan Daly from the Patriots, a defensive line coach who had won multiple Super Bowls and AFC Championships. They brought him in, and he's taken a lot of guys who most people would consider average-type defensive linemen, and he's turned them in to where they're an efficient, effective unit to where you may lose somebody, and the Chiefs have lost Emmanuel Ogba, and they've lost Alex Okafor this year two guys that were defensive ends that both had their strengths for the football team. They, they lost both those guys and they still were able to be efficient. They lost Chris Jones to a groin injury uh, in the Colts Sunday night football game. And then he came, I know he's back against the Titans and maybe a week or two before. And, but they, they still were able to have efficiency with the defensive line to where they're effective. They were still able to stop the run and, and get pressure that they needed to. Um, like you said, corner wise, no, they don't have an, they don't have an elite guy. The thing that was really getting them by for the most part was they had a really good nickel corner uh, and they still do. And Rashad Fenton, the rookie, he's, he's done a really good job and he's, he's kind of what they think they want in the corner. Uh, but Sean Breland's been a very physical type of corner, really good tackler. Traverius Ward has uh, constantly evolved this year and continue to step up. He has some issues at times, obviously, like he gave up the touchdown to Will Fuller in that first series of the game. Um, but but the two guys that have been crucial for this football team and the secondary has been Tyron Matthew. They they use him everywhere. He he's he, he would be for most fans that don't really get to watch him on a regular basis. The Chiefs use him similar in some ways how Troy Polamalu was used in Pittsburgh. He's all over the field. They use him as a blitzer. He helps in run support. There's times where they keep him back. He plays too deep. They use him as a corner. He, he may play the slot receiver and. He may play a robber and like a cover one. I mean, they, they use him everywhere. And he's, and he's the guy who communicates with everybody and gets everybody in position. So he's kind of the heart, in my opinion, of that secondary. And then they had Juan Thornhill, who was insanely fast. I mean, that guy, I watched that guy in training camp, cover Tyreek Hill, um, who was going full steam, had, had a 10-yard clean release in training camp. It was on a 55-yard pass that Patrick threw to the front pylon. And Thornhill was with him step for step, step for step the entire way. As soon as he got 10 yards, Thornhill picked it up, stood with him, kept uh, kept inside leverage on it and everything, and, and stayed stride for stride with Tyree. It was one of the craziest things that I had personally got to witness in person, and then I knew athletically that Thornhill was that guy. Unfortunately, he tore his ACL on a blitz in the, in their final game of the year against the Chargers, so the the Texans didn't really get to test that out in that regard, so – I'll be interested to see what the Titans potentially do this week. But, no, I mean, look, Derrick Henry's a physical presence. The Titans have an awesome O-line. The Chiefs, just like everybody else, I mean, they're going to try to figure out a way to stack the box, and and they may have to take some paper cuts along the way with the 
player like A.J. Brown or if Humphreys gets going or, like you said, Davis. I mean, they, they, they may have to give up some of those plays to be able to keep Derrick Henry from, uh, from limiting their offense's possessions. I wanted to ask you a little bit about a phase of the game that, that sometimes gets overlooked, but I think it's incredibly important, and that's special teams. Uh, Dave Tube, his long, uh, the chief special teams coordinator, has long been uh, c- kind of considered for head coaching positions. It's never happened, um, but he's long been c- considered to be one of the better special teams coaches in the league. Uh, but this year, it kind of seems like, I don't know if he's lost his touch or or, or what has happened, but in that Titans game, that blocked the blocked field goal at the end of the game ended up uh, costing the Chiefs the game. And then last week against the Texans, uh, the Texans block a punt uh, and they return it for a touchdown on only the second possession of the game. What do you think has been the problem with with the or if you think it's even been uh, a glaring problem the Chiefs special teams this season and do you think it's something that could maybe swing this game in the Titans favor because the Titans have been one of the better special teams uh, teams uh, for the last couple of years because they've really placed an emphasis on it with free agent acquisitions uh, a new a new special teams coach um, and, and drafted players that, that have been drafted with with uh, with a focus on special teams yeah no, I think you're 100 percent right I mean the Titans they showed their uh, they showed their their attention to detail when they played Kansas City last time, and to be able to understand the finer points that the way they did, especially whenever there was that there was the botch snap on that field goal uh, because they were so worried about a uh, you guys can uh, I don't remember his name offhand uh, the guy who blocked it I know it was Joshua Kalu 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 that's right so yeah Kalu. Um, yeah, Kalu, they, they were so worried about him that on that first one that they botched a snap on, I was watching on Coach's film. Um, I know that Dustin Colquitt, the punter who was the holder on that one, he was watching him with his eyes, and he'd made the mistake of putting his hand up. And when the long snapper sees that hand put up, he, he thinks it means that it's ready to go. So then they, he snapped it, and then Colquitt wasn't expecting it whenever he turned his head. And then once that happened, I mean, they, they botched that snap, and then they didn't get the field goal off there. And then, like you said, that one there at the end, I mean, you know, Kalu had that thing perfectly. He was not offsides, and I know a lot of Chiefs fans here in town were convinced he was, and I slow-moed the tape and put it up there, and I'm like, no, he timed it perfectly. He'd clearly been watching his tape, and he saw the exact time of how long it takes for the long snapper to snap it when he sees that hand motion, and they, uh, and he made a, a crucial play that won the Titans the game. I would say with Dave Tobe, <coughs> excuse me, um, with Dave Tobe, I think part of the part of the thing is is uh, when you have Tyreek Hill back there returning for you, you look like a genius. And he when he was in Chicago, he had Devin Hester and Johnny Knox returning punts for him too and kicks for him. And you know when you have a guy who has that kind of vi- players who have that kind of vision and that kind of speed, it, it makes life easier as a special teams coach. Um, the problem that the Chiefs have had this year on special teams, in my opinion, is. They've had a lot more holds when they're returning the football. McCole Hardman, it took him to week 17 when they, uh, when they played the Chargers for him to get a, a kick return for a touchdown. And he, uh, finally, he, it got him some confidence. And then he had the big uh, 50-yarder that kind of started things off in the, in the Texans game. So he's finally starting to get the confidence. So, I mean, you're hoping with his speed that he could be a difference maker for this, for this game from a Chiefs perspective. But, yeah, I mean, the punt thing itself – Punt, uh, the, the protections on the punt this year have been, have been an issue to, 
to a certain extent. There's there's been a handful of times, and it goes all the way back to the uh, the Colts playoff game last year in the divisional round, to where the Colts were running some twists and they were running them off the a gaps of either side of the of the long snapper James Winchester, and they were effectively getting through each time on all those. And and then the Texans pulled that play out, and then they ran they put a little tweak to it to uh, to get the up back Jordan Lucas to get him to pay attention to this guy looping around. And because of that, Winchester had a different angle. Everybody took somebody a shade outside of them. And then that's whenever they were able to get through that a gap. So um, teams have, I I'd say for the Titans, I'm a, I'm a little nervous whenever the Titans are going to be in their, in their pump block formation or potentially in punt return. I think there's going to be some opportunities there and I'm going to be curious to see what they do and how the chiefs block that up. And then I'll be curious to see on, on field goals, if it comes down to that, I'll be curious to see uh, what the Titans have cooked up there too, because I, I, I don't doubt one bit that the, the special teams that it could be very effective for the Titans in this game, especially if it's close and Derrick Henry's eaten up a lot of time off the time of possession. Yeah, we've talked a lot about Tyreek Hill as a returner and as, you know, big plays he's had in the past. When the last time the Titans played, he had 19 targets, which is almost twice as much as any other game this year. Other, you know, it is more than twice as much except for the Houston game when he got 10 targets. But mm -hmm. since then, I don't want to say he's been a non-factor because Tyreek Hill is never a non-factor. Just right. schematically, he's so hard to defend against, even if he never gets the ball. But you know, you look at the next, you know, so if you look at Tennessee and Minnesota, which was back-to-back, -back, he ended up with 28 targets in those two games, and he had uh, almost 300 yards receiving. And then after mm -hmm. that, it was 55 yards receiving, 62, 67. He hadn't broken 75 since the Titans game. Is that, is there a reason why that's happened, or is it just everything else is so open that it's easier to get Kelsey, you know, six catches for 130 yards as you march away down the field? Or is there just something different that's happening schematically against him that's making him less effective? I, 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 would, I wouldn't say that he's uh, – in terms of stats, he's probably – you're right in the fact that he's less effective in that regard. But in terms of his presence on the field, teams are scared of him on every single play. Just by him being on the football field alone – there's a lot of teams that if they don't have if they don't have a good secondary, they will stay in too deep the entire time and make the Chiefs take everything underneath just simply because Tyreek is on the field. Doesn't even matter if he's running a go route or not. Teams already have two safeties dedicated back deep because they're like, man, we don't we don't we don't have a single high safety that can cover the range. You know, we don't have that there, so we're gonna have to keep too deep just to try to stop Tyreek and. And the Denver Broncos were one of those teams that played a ton. They played a ton of too deep against Tyreek and in the snow. And guess what? He still scored a 45-50 yard touchdown on one of their opening in the opening drive of that game, even though they still had had done everything correctly about how they were going to defend him. Um, part of it, I think, is Travis Kelsey gets the if Tyreek gets doubled, then Travis Kelsey gets a lot more opportunities and. And with what the Texans were doing, there there were some times when I was watching the coach's film there where the Texans made sure they had a safety over top and they had a corner underneath there. And that safety, whenever they'd be shadowed over to his side, um, simply because of that, that gave Travis a lot more one-on-one -on -one opportunities. That gave Sammy Watkins some one-on-one -on -one opportunities. That gave McCole Hardman some 
some potential opportunities and it, it, it just it just continued to snowball for for the Texans because they were so scared of Tyreek at times beating them over the top that they were willing to give up the paper cuts everywhere else for the 10 15 yard chunks every time so um, I would say with Tyreek I mean teams teams want to take away the deep ball from the Chiefs they a lot of teams think that that's kind of the key to beating the Chiefs is they, they want to limit the deep passes and and they're going to take away that home run explosiveness that, the, that they have. So the Chiefs this year have had to learn how to take what's available to them, whether, whether it's the receiver on the crossing route versus going to the vertical pass where it's in double, you know, there's two defenders and there's double coverage if you throw into it. And, and that's where Mahomes' maturation, where he's had to learn the patience of driving down the field at times versus trying to go force it to Tyreek on a home run ball. Even though Tyreek can get it, there's just, there's just times where it's not – it's not the ideal situation. And, and unfortunately for Tyreek, whenever he had the uh, clavicle injury that he sustained in that Jaguars game in week one, um, that, that's part of the reason teams started doing press coverage. That's why the Lions went to man coverage because they're like, okay, Tyreek's not out here. We just have to do single high and get physical with everybody else. And, and that's what a lot of teams, that's what the Colts mimicked whenever they played the following week. And the Texans mimicked a little bit of it for a while until they realized that, Tyreek was back on the field and they're like, yeah, no, we're probably not going to do that anymore. And then that's whenever, like we said, whenever you were talking about the numbers, when Mahomes came back, um, that was Mahomes wanted to get in rhythm with Tyreek because he knew that that was kind of, if, if that threat was back there and if they're in rhythm together, that they can make it happen five to eight times in a game, you know, to where it may not be ideal, but it's some of those crucial downs on third down that they got to convert. And, and Tyreek's kind of, Tyreek's one of the guys whenever, Whenever it's break glass in case of emergency, they're they're going to figure out a way to get him to get him open and to get him the ball. Nick, we thank you so much for joining us. Uh, before we let you go, let our listeners know where they can follow you and find your content because I know they will want to uh, consume that themselves as they prepare for this game. Yeah, on Twitter it's uh, it's at Jacobs seventy one. And then on our at our station at forty one Action News, we're the NBC affiliate in Kansas City. Um, you just go to KSHB.com, click on the Chiefs tab. I'll have a I'll have a game plan up there later this week or go on the Apple podcast and you can download the fourth and one podcast that we do at the station and all that's there available. And if you're wanting to learn about the Chiefs, you can definitely turn to 41 Action News to find a great deal of content. All right, we really appreciate Nick joining us. You can follow him on Twitter at Jacobs71. Go check out his content. He's going to have great stuff to help you guys get a better grasp on the Chiefs just like he did for us in our show. Okay, I have one topic slash question I want to address before we get to Emily Proud, and that's that's this. Is this Titans team, guys, one that has gotten hot at the right time? You know, you hear that phrase a lot when it comes to the playoffs. Or are they one where it has all come together with Vrabel and Arthur Smith and the players, and it just so happens that it came together at the right time? Is I mean, is this a team on a streak, or is this just what they are now? It's kind of what they were last year. Like the only difference is is Tannehill's there to attack vertically and hit AJ Brown because. This is who Derrick Henry's always been in the winter. Like Derrick Henry in the winter has always been incredibly effective, and he's been you know last December he had the best like month a quarterback or a running backs ever had or whatever those stats were, and he just broke 
the record for most 180 plus yard games in a row. Like, the, I mean, this isn't new to him, but in the offseason, the small addition of, you know, Roger Saffold, who's great, and then you get A.J. Brown, like the things that were big at the time, but they've just gotten incrementally bigger and bigger. It's just like the team that they've always tried to be, but everything's working. So I don't know how I don't know how streaky it is, quote unquote. But I mean, it seems like this is the team they think they can be every week. Yeah, and and they're they're not making mistakes, and they're kind of well. I'm not going to say they've let the Patriots and the Ravens beat themselves. Uh, but the Patriots and the Ravens have c- committed uh, a good amount of mistakes, uh, something that the Titans have taken advantage of, especially in that Ravens game. Uh, they take advantage of that failed fourth and one. They score. Uh, oh, no, first the interception, sorry. The interception by Lamar, they score. And then the fourth and one that the Ravens can't convert, uh, we throw the deep shot to Khalif Raymond, and then we're up 14-0. So they've just been really opportunistic. Uh, I, I know in baseball, they say like in the playoffs, you need, um, what is it? Timely hitting and good pitching. That's kind of what the times are doing. They're yeah, just playing, they're playing. So <laughs> yeah, <laughs> let me, let us consult our, <laughs> our, our baseball expert will here. <laughs> that is, that is the no, phrase. But that is what they're said. doing. They're just, they're playing good defense. They're limiting turnovers. They're creating turnovers and they're taking advantage of, of, uh, of some of those turnovers. I think this is what they are now because it's what they've been, as you guys were saying, for like two months. Yeah, and I was also, I would also say that it's very much a New England style of thinking. It's we're going to take away what you want to do, which last week against the Ravens was we're going to stretch Lamar Jackson out laterally instead of letting him get vertical and make him, you know, run to the sideline and get three-yard tackles for loss or, you know, what they frequently did and then make him pass the ball 50 times because even if they put up a bunch of yards, there's, there's flaws in that game, which was for Lamar, which was high throws and not really being able to see everything as well as it looked like when he only had to throw the ball 20 or 25 times a game, but it's taking away what they want to do and forcing them to, to do something they're not comfortable with. And we really didn't get to see it as much with the Patriots just because I mean, they're the Patriots. Like, they know what you're trying to take away. They have counters for it. They have a coaching staff that's worked together for a long time. Like, they're just a really well-run organization. But, I mean, it. this team completely had the Saints flustered when they played them with backups for, you know, three quarters until there was an injury. Like, it, it's, it's a very well-run team right now, and they seem to just be able to do whatever they want. So, I mean, I... I don't see how anybody could construe playing the Ravens and uh, the Patriots, who are two top five rush defenses. I don't see how you can say that that was lucky or streaky that you get to play those teams and dominate them like the Titans did. So, yeah, I mean, this is just who, at least hopefully, this is who they should and will be. Yeah, and it's something we've been clamoring for for a while, and we thought maybe it would be what takes this team to the next level, and that's... Uh, just consistent quarterback play, and that's exactly what Tannehill has given us. Um, some, something that I, I don't want to bash on Mariota, but but he was really inconsistent the past couple of seasons. Uh, and, and Tannehill has just, you know, he's righted the ship. And in addition to being a really consistent, solid guy you can rely on, uh, 
to to make plays and move the chains. He he's provided explosive plays, and, and it's been it's just been so key to this run. And especially in this in these last two games, we haven't needed him, but he's made plays when when they've been available. Okay, we're going to get now to our talk with Emily Proud from News Channel Two. We dive in with her about the Titans' turnaround this season. We talk about, of course, Derrick Henry and the entire team. And we also get her preview of for, for Stop the Nonsense. It's, it's a fun interview. Uh, we're going to play a quick 30-second word from one of our sponsors before we start. Uh, and then we're going to enjoy that interview. So we are now joined by Emily Proud from WKRN News Channel 2 in Nashville. Emily, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you guys for having me. I appreciate it. What if I had told you in week six after that monstrosity at Denver that this team was going to be in the AFC championship game? I would have laughed at you. Everybody would have laughed at you. No chance of that happening. Did you I see mean, that team play in Denver? Did you yeah. see them? <laughs> well, and the remarkable thing is, you know, everyone says, well, they put Tannehill in and that changed everything. I'm like, yes. But every single player on that offense in particular is better than they were. And not all of it is because of Tannehill. 100%. Um, you, you hit it right on the nose. Even starting from the top, even the offensive coordinator is seemingly better <laughs> since they changed to Tannehill. And, you know, we don't know the intricacies of if that opened up the playbook or anything by having him in. Um, I'd say him and Mariota are similar players and what they're able to do. And especially in Mariota's heyday, he's did a lot of the similar things that Tannehill has been able to do. Um, but yeah, I mean, you, you hit it right on the money. It's, it wasn't just Tannehill. I mean, his play obviously has elevated the offense, but there's these individual guys that are all of a sudden coming out of the woodwork too and having incredible seasons. Jonu Smith, I mean, AJ Brown has <laughs> obviously elevated himself since the start of the season. Derek Henry's running better. Um, so yeah, it's not, it's not just Tannehill. A lot of other guys deserve credit. Hi, Emily. This is Matias. Uh, I want to talk to you a little bit about A.J. Brown or ask you a little bit about A.J. Brown. I, he really just came on really strong over the latter half of the season and, and turned easily the, the best rookie receiver uh, this year and one of the one of the better receivers period in the NFL uh, during this season. But in the playoffs, he's kind of taken a backseat. A lot of that has been due to Tannehill not really throwing all that much. Um, and us not really having to rely on the passing game just because Derek, Derek Henry has been so good. And uh, I want I want to ask you if you think that uh, his lack of production, he only has 13 yards uh, on two catches in the playoffs. Do you think that's more due to the Titans not throwing as much, or do you think he's uh, gotten more attention uh, from a defensive standpoint, especially going up against um, t two teams that have had really good cornerbacks? Yeah, I think it's a mixture of both. You know, before A.J. Brown kind of came on and on the scene, um, Corey Davis was, was getting everybody's uh, top corners. Now that A.J. Brown has proven himself to be a, a weapon, um, he's been getting all that attention. So I definitely think that has a lot to do with it. But, I mean, as we've been saying since after the Patriots game, the Titans are going to have to throw more if they want to beat the Ravens. As we've already started it this week. The Titans are going to have to throw the ball more. Tannehill's going to have to throw for more than 100 yards per game uh, to, to beat the Chiefs and, and to beat the Ravens. But as we've seen, it, it worked last week. It worked against the Patriots. So I think um, I'm a firm believer in do what you need to do to win. I'm not going to go in and dissect and say, well, they should have thrown more. They, they beat the Ravens. 
the number one team in the AFC, the MVP, they, they, they managed to beat them doing their game. You obviously have to make adjustments based on what you see from the other team defensively or on the Titans' defensive perspective, what they're doing offensively. But ultimately, the reason that the Titans have gone as far as they have is because they've stuck to their way of playing. And yeah, unfortunately, that isn't um, involving as much of A.J. Brown now. I think that we've, you know, exhausted the storyline that it takes all 53, all 46, whatever you want to say on game day. Uh, you see Khalif Raymond making incredible touchdown passes. Johnny Smith, Anthony Berkser has found himself in the end zone quite a few times. So I think it's it's by necessity. And yeah, he's getting a lot more attention as well. He should. Um, but you never know. This is uh, definitely the the worst defense the Titans are about to face that they've faced in the postseason. So there could be more opportunities for him. Hey, Emily, this is Will. Um, Luke and I have had kind of a conversation for the last two years about Corey Davis and it, all the highs. <laughs> really, and like three years. <laughs> yeah, like <laughs> it, it's it's been Ever a long since thing. He got there. <laughs> yeah, in in a vacuum, like not knowing, and, and you may know Luke's opinion on this. I, I don't know, but not being privy to that conversation. What do you think Corey Davis is? And in, in terms of a career retrospective to this point, like what he is right now? I think that's, you know, one of the, the biggest question marks about, you know, when you go and dissect the the players who you're trying to figure out their future. So, you know, we obviously talk about Ryan Tannehill and what they're going to do with him next season and Derrick Henry is their contract coming for him. Um, but Corey Davis is such an interesting part because you can't forget that he was a top five draft pick. I think that that um, hurts him more than anything. It adds a ton of extra pressure. You see that happen with, with most guys that are drafted in the first round is that you automatically have the added pressure, but that's what you get for being as good as he was in college. And that's what you get for getting drafted that high is because clearly you should be better. Um, So I definitely don't think that the Titans are are getting enough out of Corey Davis right now, but I also don't think that he's that type of player that isn't quite on the spectrum of, uh, of AB, but is, is not the guy that says, I want the football, throw it to me. I want to be the main uh, number one, wide receiver, which is why I think A.J. Brown kind of has that mentality a little bit. He had a little bit of that swag, and he came in and and took over as quickly as he did. So I'm interested to see what they do with um, Corey Davis. Unfortunately, he is very expensive right now. His rookie contract is is so high, but uh, that's that's, I've I've been wondering that just as much as you guys probably have, but he's definitely not living up to the draft pick and the money that he has been given. I, I don't I don't want this. I don't want this to turn into a Corey Davis rabbit hole, but I do want to follow <laughs> up on that by saying, commenting on two things. First of all, if he is, I feel like the whole you know demanding for the ball, like that, that's what your on the field play does. Like when AJ Brown went out in Week One and had nearly over 100 receiving yards on like three catches, that is him demanding the football, right? It's a non-verbal thing. And, and But also, you make a great point with Corey Davis about the rookie contract. And next year is year four, so you get one more cheap year. And then after that would potentially be the fifth-year option. So, so would you pick up the fifth-year option? Because I would imagine it's going to be in the realm of $14, 15000000 million. And I don't know that you pay someone that much when you're targeting them two, three times a game at most. No, no, and, and it has no indictment on his ability to be a wide receiver. I mean, I don't think we can argue that he's not been good at his job, but 
the, the price tag doesn't warrant the production that he's gotten. And I don't know if it's just a result of this Titans offense, as we know that historically they've had some issues with wide receivers. Um, but I mean, even, you know, the past couple of years, been their main pass catcher, Delaney Walker, a tight end. So and who did they just elevate the coordinator, tight ends coach? I don't know if it's, there's going to be some massive changing of the guard where they target one wide receiver 15, 20 times a game. So a little bit with J. Brown, but now he's getting a lot more attention. Arthur Smith is not a great Derrick Henry throw passes to Corey Davis in the end zone. Anthony Ferks are my, I mean, they're using everybody. So if I were making the decision, and it's really a big decision, nothing to do with his ability to be a wide receiver, I wouldn't pick up that fifth year just because of the price tag that it brings and how much we're not going to get production-wise. Uh, I wanted to focus a little bit on the defense. Uh, it's It's been just fantastic in these playoffs, and a lot of credit needs to go to Dean Pease, uh, even though we, we've been kind of critical of him in the past. But I, I don't think we can, we can argue that what they've done in these playoffs has been uh, nothing short of fantastic, uh, give, especially given all the injuries they've gone through. Uh, Cameron Wake is injured. Uh, Malcolm Butler is injured. But guys like Tremaine Brock and Derek Roberson uh, are are coming. They're, they're stepping up and, and they make plays. And I think that's a testament not, not only to them, but also the coaching staff. Uh, but this is very clearly probably going to be their their biggest test. I, I know the Ravens were were technically uh, the best offense uh, in the NFL this past season, um, but the Titans just kind of seemed to match up better against them. Uh, and now they're coming up against Mahomes, who has just lit everything on fire since he since he's uh, taken the starting job, and he's already um, uh, lit up the Titans uh, in this regular season. What do you think the Titans? Uh, have to go into this game with uh, on defense to attack Mahomes and attack this this Chiefs offense. Put it perfectly yesterday during the all the press conferences that we had. He said he's he's gonna put up points. He's gonna beat you. Gonna make big plays. It's what he does. It's not letting that affect them and not letting that control the next play. We saw happen with the, those last weekend um they just it, they let it spiral out of control and and that's what's going to get you beat um the chiefs are, are one of those teams that strives off of their offense um their def- if their offense makes a big play and their that kind of makes their defense buckle down a little bit but at the start of the season it was the opposite for the titans and then it kind of switched back to the offense and um i think that we're seeing kind of this reemergence of the Titans defensive old and how they were at the beginning of the year where, I mean, Luke knows we're walking to the locker room and most of the questions, what's it like? Well, part in the spectrum of finding success. So what is it like when your defense is incredible, but your offense is putting up points through multiple quarters and halves of games and sometimes an entire game. Um, I feel like we're kind of coming back to that and that has just so much to do with Dean Pease. I mean, you look at some of the development of these guys, I think that's probably the biggest win on a coach is how we can develop players. Sean Evans comes in, not all that exciting for the first couple couple weeks, for the first few games. He was battling some injuries, but he came alive towards the end of the season. And, and this year is arguably one of the top players on this defensive unit, not the top player based on what we saw in the, what we've seen in the playoffs so far. So it's just, 
I feel like that's a huge indictment on the coach when you can see these players' development over the years and over the weeks. You talk about a Derek Roberson and you talk about a David Long Jr. As we never talked about at the beginning of the year, but now their numbers are being called. They're finding production. They're, they're making a big impact on defense. All, all of it has to do with how the head coach or how the defense coordinator is instructing them and teaching them and, and clearly the learning process. And I think we kind of have to take a step back and, and ask, you know, from a Titans fan perspective, consider how lucky they are to have Dean Pease. He retired at the Ravens two years ago, was done. My call had to come back. He had some health issues last year. Thought he was going to leave. Like Rabel convinced him to come back again. Uh, that makes you want to root for the guy as well, and he's he's definitely warranted all of the praise and everything that he's been getting in the postseason. Because uh, yeah, this is a pretty good offense. They just shut down and gave up one touchdown against on Saturday. Yeah, I mean, I was pretty vocal against, and I say against. I, I've been a big Dean Pease guy for a long time. I oh, thought, come I thought, on, Will. No, 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 no. This is a hundred percent true. In 2018, I was very positive about Dean Pease. I don't know how you couldn't be. And then for the first four games of the year, I was too. But then he just stopped blitzing. There there was no of that interior game, so I was pretty negative on that. But, I mean, I, I guess I guess the next game and, you know, this playoff stretch will do a lot in terms of how I look at his 2019, just because so much of it is third and 12 and you get no pass rush because you rush three and there's big yeah. holes cover too so i don't want to get too much into that but i, no, I will I think it's say important that. Too to look at the the teams that they've played too when we talk about how great they were to the first part of the season they were playing the colts and the jags and the bulls and the Broncos, and then they went through that stretch bucks and the panthers and the chiefs and the jet like you know it's, it's that kind of you know oh and but you also need to realize that at the beginning of the season the the Offenses they were going up against were nothing to compare to the stretch. They kind of went towards the end of the year, and that's why they were giving up 30-plus points a game. But luckily, the offense decided to come alive as well. So Yeah, it's it's weird how it coincided with, and this is kind of one of my conspiracy theories, is as soon as there wasn't a bunch of pressure on the defense to perform, there was less blitzing and all that, just because it's so strenuous to call a blitz-heavy game where, you know, one mistake gives up a touchdown and an explosive play. So I think that had something to do with it. I wanted to talk about the game just in general coming up. It's supposed to be 22 degrees. And I think I, I tweeted that out. And I think somebody in Kansas city said that's optimistic because that they're hearing it could be up to 10 degrees colder than that. And that's not feels like that's on the thermometer. I, in my head that works in the Titans favor but it's just so punishing for everybody involved, including Derrick Henry, if you're going to run the ball 30 times a game. So I, I don't I don't really know what my point is behind this, but it's, it's more the fact of I think this game to me could come down to just who makes the fewest mistakes because nobody's going to play well. And I think that's something that people aren't talking about after a 50-point performance from Kansas City and then after the Titans shut down Baltimore it just it, it feels like nobody's talking about the fact that this may be one of the weird like 13 to 7 AFC championships we get yeah I mean you know the, the weather had a little bit of a factor in New England and I, I feel like a lot of times 
you know, you really want to look into kind of those outside factors when you dissect both teams and you kind of are at a stalemate and go, well, the Titans, you know, their offense is on fire and the Chiefs defense is great and Chiefs offense is and, you know, you want to find something else that you look at, like, and, and other conditions that might factor into it. Maybe, you know, last and kind of anger that went into the Titans for getting revenge for the Ravens. You know, maybe this year, Andy Reid is one and eight against the Titans. He might have a little bit of extra motivation. So um, as far as how the weather will affect the game, earlier this season, Pat Mahomes stood up in a very, very snowy game. Um, and he looked like he was having, you know, the best time in the world they were doing. Um, snow angels. I mean, he was still able to to throw the ball well and to do what he always does. And I think that was kind of the coolest thing to come out of that game is to see that it was the offense. He didn't adjust based on the snow. So sometimes people like to overthink it and look into it as, oh, it's cold, it's rainy, we got to run the ball. Um, but what they've already shown this season is, they don't really care what the weather is. They're going to do their thing. They're going to go through uh, their former MVP quarterback. So I don't want to be in the cold. I agree that it's not an enjoyable place, and I'm sure all the guys would too, but uh, you got to throw all that stuff out the window when you're playing for. Last thing for you, Emily. We we end every episode of this show with, with our segment that we call uh, stop the nonsense. And we look at the biggest nonsense of the week from the sports world, usually bad takes on Twitter, whether from a reporter or a fan. So I'll ask you this because you're the kind of person that can do this. What What is the biggest nonsense that you have seen this season, whether it be surrounding the Titans or, or just something that comes to mind? Because you're very active on social media and you deal with people a lot and you know that uh, of the cesspool that it can be. Oh, the Titans. Oh goodness. We should have had time to think about this. Oh gosh. Let me think. Let me think. So just with the Titans or just with anything, with anything in the sports world, anything in the sports realm, anything. Oh good. Well, that makes it easier. Uh, no, <laughs> I guess I was kind of talking about this on, uh, on Twitter yesterday. Um, everybody, saying, I got a lot of money on the Tigers <laughs> tonight, even though they were both Tigers. Uh, just, just little, like, the sports puns and things that are just total low-hanging fruit. I compared it to people saying, see you next year, see you next decade. Yes. It comes okay. around in late December. Just those things. I'm like, come on. You'd be better than that. But yeah. I don't know about anything with the Titans. What did, what did you guys uh, put forth? for this mm. Maybe I can get I mean, kind of a gist of what you're looking for you know i think the biggest thing and you guys may disagree with this i think the biggest thing this year is someone for sbnation.com which is like their national site wrote an article in mid-june declaring yeah. that michael pruitt was going to be the breakout star for the titans this season and that to <laughs> this day is the most dumbfounding thing i have ever he read he, he retweets it every time he catches a pass. <laughs> I feel like we were talking about in the off-season stupid article from one of those random websites as well, talking about how this is it for Delaney Walker and he's done. And we were all like, no, no, that's not going to happen. And then 
Yeah, it's kind of true. Yeah, we learned that it might, in fact, not have been nonsense. But yeah, you see a lot of those hot takes, and there's a guy from the NFL Network that picked the Titans to go three and thirteen, and there's there's a lot of nonsense, and we're we're getting into the time of year where there's a ton of nonsense when it comes to the draft boards and uh, the early early NFL. What do they call it? Like the super early NFL rankings and all that. The mock drafts. Not no, not just the mock drafts, but when they do like the rankings, like, they the, do, they'll like, do like the way like, too the way early, too like, early. like yeah. the big boards yeah. and th- things like yeah. that. Yeah, I love it though because you know it's, we're in the age of the internet where everything can be screenshotted and freezing cold takes will pick it up and it's fun. What, what gets me I, is I like, enjoy the nonsense. I'll str- I'll scroll through Twitter like yesterday. And, you know, the Titans are in the AFC Championship. And I'll see Titans fans, you know, tweeting it at me and us and other media people. Hey, what do y'all think about them taking this person in the first round next year? Yeah. It's like, can you hold your horses Go on away. that? <laughs> yes. That's like what I was trying to do, all the breakdowns of how the Titans would make the playoffs, waiting for, you know, this team needs to do this and this team needs to do that. Somebody replies, what, what would happen in the case of a tie? I just want to ball my fists up. Do you know how much research goes into figuring out what exactly needs to happen? I mean, I started like a few weeks out too, and and there was, you know, a million possible situations and was doing all this research and, you know, took like three hours to go through it and finally like, okay, I double checked, I'm good to go. And he sent it out into the world. Somebody says, well, what about ties? (laughs) Yeah. Block them. It goes to a penalty shootout. (laughs) <laughs> that's right. Change yeah. of sports. That would be fun. A kicking shootout. I yeah. think that's what oh, Matt, God, like, no. Matt McAfee wants. Like, you know, you start at 30 and then you move back to 40 and then and you keep mm-hmm. kicking. Yeah, yeah at least take, that's like that the wouldn't least be good for us. Part of given our yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Emily, thank you so much for joining us. We really appreciate it. Yeah, no problem. Thank you guys so much for having me. All right. We are going to wrap up this episode as we always do with our hashtag stop the nonsense segment where we take a look at the biggest nonsense of the week from the sports world who would like to kick us off i'll go first uh because i think mine has been blown up i think everybody is aware of it but it needs to be discussed i I wrote about it the other day but uh, some of y'all probably heard this but marshall yonda accused jeffrey simmons of spitting in his face at some point, so inevitably, like with all of these incidents, it felt like, okay, we're going to get a video of this, and we're going to have to deal with this, and it's going to be a distraction all week. But there's been no video, nothing, seemingly nothing has happened. You know, I can't imagine if this was true that Ravens fans would let Titans fans get away with it without throwing it up everywhere. And yet, if you search Marshall Yonda Spit, you don't get anything about Jeffrey Simmons, but you will get a video of him spitting on Vontez Perfect, standing over him, and very clearly intentionally fair, spitting on him. It Burfic, is Vontez Perfect. Sure. But l- let me read you Yonda's quote. Uh, quote, I just want to put him on notice in the media. I've never done this before in my career. Uh, there is yeah. a right way and a wrong way to play football, and the guy did not do it the right way today. So the refs and everybody in the NFL need to put him on notice. Like I said, I've never been spit in my face, and I literally got spit right in my face by number 98. And then later he goes on to say, uh, I definitely respect, respect Jarrell Casey, and I wanted to, wanted to let him know, uh, go get your guy, because that was just, like I said, just not acceptable in this game. I mean, 
my dude, like, I, I get that, like, you're upset. I mean, because, and rightfully so, Yonda got put on skates when he went against Simmons. Like, he he didn't have it. Like, and Yonda's an older guy. He's probably going to retire after this year. I know he was upset, but, man, I mean, you've got to get out of your feelings when you're giving quotes because this is just a lie. I mean, that's, that's all this is. This is a lie backed up by the fact that pick something else. Say he gouged you in the eye in the bottom of the pile or something but don't say something that you can just search and the first video that comes up is you spitting on somebody like that's just bad business so i mean i've got a bunch of respect for marshall as the player not including this past game but uh, it's it's a bad way to go out so when you do stop the nonsense every single week like we do, there are the occasional weeks where it's difficult to find one or or you kind of have to stretch. Uh, this was not one of those weeks for me. I have like a long list of stuff to pick from. I'm going to go with two. One from the sports world, one outside. They're both kind of quick. First, inside the sports world, that TikTok that the New York Jets posted. Oh, my God. Yeah. If you've not seen this, uh, number one, you need to. It's art. It's art. It's a girl. <laughs> like, did they make that? Like, was the the video of the girl dancing, was that, like, in existence, or did they make this? No, no, no. It was, I think it was a video that had already existed. And they just matched They repurposed they, it. There's yeah, this girl dancing, sh- shaking around very violently, and all of a sudden, the football pops out of her rear end and into the hands of... Was it Darnold, was it? It was, yeah. Oh, God. As if he was behind center. As if, as if that guy needed to catch another disease after they missing... They deleted it 30 minutes later, which is the best part. Oh, did they? Yes. Come on. If you're going to go for it, go for it. <laughs> That's it playing on my phone, that noise you just heard. It's, mm. <laughs> It's disappointing that they deleted it, but what my, my other one is uh, non-sports world, and I, t- I texted you guys about this last week. Why in the world does Walmart have to have bouncers at the door? <laughs> I will this. never understand this. Now, if you are a Walmart bouncer, it is not your fault. You get paid to do what they tell you to do. My problem is with the people telling you to do it. Why in the world, after I go through the trouble of grocery shopping, after all of my groceries are in a bag in this cart, do I have to get to the front, get stopped by some lady or man, and dig around for my receipt while they kind of halfway look at it and maybe highlight something and then, okay, you're good to go? Like, what, what, are, what are you doing? Like, what? I don't understand it. This is very big on your radar. Like, yeah, it really you were, is. You were hot about it. You were, I it mean, inconveniences like, you. It seems like they do the same thing at Best Buy. Yeah, if you, if you buy something it, big. And I think you said it at Sam's Club too, right? Like, yeah, because I went to Sam's one of those Club the other day, there. and I walked in, and the guy's like, "You got your card with you?" And like, my wallet was like under a bunch of stuff in my pocket, and I had to dig around and find the card and show him. It took like a minute, and he's like, "Okay, you're good." Like, you can't buy anything here without the card. If I don't have one, why would I be here? Yeah, I just it I mean, doesn't make any sense I, to me. It's very frustrating that 
places keep finding more and more ways to inconvenience you. It's why everybody should just shop online. Like, I don't know if that's a hot take, but there's no reason to go out and buy anything if you don't have to. Agreed. <laughs> that's why I do. Close us out. Okay. Um, I'm really bad at these stop the nonsense picks, but uh, I, I will pick this one because he is a friend of the pot. Just kidding. I say that for everyone. I don't know if I don't know if anyone's started to notice that. But on midday 180, our good friend Blake Bedingfield, who has just oh. it's I don't even know, man. It's just bad take after bad take after bad take all season. All season. It hasn't been good. All season. I I don't know a lot about him. I'm not from Tennessee and I I don't I don't really listen to the, to the show, but I see the quotes that 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 come from his mouth supposedly and they're terrible. And today we got this one. If Joe Burrow and Trevor Lawrence were both draft eligible this year, Trevor Lawrence would be the number 1 pick. No. So he's not even saying that in his opinion he would take Trevor Lawrence. He's saying that Trevor Lawrence would be the number one pick if both were draft eligible. One, that's wrong. Joe Burrow just had the best, probably the best season in college football history of any single player. Uh, Did he, he throw any interceptions this year? Yeah, he threw six, but he also <laughs> threw he also threw <laughs> sixty touchdowns. And he ran. Can you imagine if he didn't throw any interceptions? <laughs> that would be wild. That'd be wild. <laughs> Listen, I love Trevor Lawrence. I think he's going to be. He's probably going to be the number one pick next year. But yeah. right now, in this moment, Joe Burrow just beat him and looked infinitely better than him. So I, I don't. I, I just don't understand the need. The need for this take is as if he has info that that Lawrence would be the number one pick. He's just he's had terrible takes all season. I've finally been fed up with it, and they probably just shouldn't have him on the show anymore. I don't know what he's doing there. Yeah, I mean, do y'all think having somebody who says those kinds of things and that A.J. Brown should be a rotational player and sometimes he shouldn't even be active in games, like, do you think having that guy, like, hurt the Titans' chances of winning games for two decades? Well, he was on the scouting staffs that drafted (laughs) Pac-Man Jones, Jake Locker, Chance Warmack, Kendall Wright, Bishop Sankey. So clearly he's got an eye for talent. Ah, nice. Yeah, like, surely... That was just one uh, one off mistake. I mean, I, I want to say he was also in the uh, in the organization when they drafted Kevin Dodd, and then he got fired after like or let go or whatever they say. But like he right. they right. parted ways after that, and then Robinson just immediately followed those with you know what two of the best drafts we've ever seen like or three of the best drafts we've ever seen from the Titans, like just in terms of quality of player and all. It's, I don't know. It's, it's very strange that it, he's so well regarded just for longevity. You know, we didn't even have time in this episode to talk about Bill O'Brien or Jeff Schwartz. Yeah. Those will be off season uh, topics. Mm-hmm. I will say I'm glad I, the Texans those... lost because I didn't even want the possibility of Bill O'Brien in the Super Bowl. I couldn't know. Couldn't have taken <laughs> All right, well, that's going to do it for us. We thank you for tuning in. We thank Emily Proud. We uh, we thank Nick for joining us, too. Uh, for Matthias and Will, I'm Luke, reminding you and everyone in the sports world to stop the nonsense.
Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.